Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seidman. Happy Labor Day to all of you here in the United States. And it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a whole bunch of topics to discuss today. You can see all of them up on screen here. The video index is in the description, so you can jump to the topics that interest you most. And now let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel, including Saspa Imre, who contributed via our donor box page. And we have two new YouTube members, Keith Robinson and David Kelly. I want to thank everyone who contributed to the channel this week and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis too, along with everyone who watches on a regular basis because all of those things equal channel growth. Now this week's wrap-up, like every wrap-up at the beginning of the month, is sponsored by Plex. Now if you're not familiar with Plex, it is my favorite media serving application. You can take all of the media that you have stored on your computer or network attached storage device and access it much in the same way you would through a cloud service. It looks great. It's got a great organizational structure. You get a lot of neat metadata for all of the different things that you have stored on your computer. It'll handle movies, TV shows, music, your photos, and a lot more. And if you sign up for their premium service called PlexPass, you get even more features, including the DVR and live TV. You can do mobile syncing for offline viewing and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, But there's some more things happening on the free side of Plex that were announced this week, and you might want to sign up for an account once this uh, feature gets rolled out. Uh, They partnered up with Warner Brothers, and they're going to be offering ad-supported videos, uh, beginning with some movies from WB, and then I'm sure TV shows and other things will likely follow. And this looks like a new direction that Plex is taking uh, to add on to some of the other things that they're already doing with streaming content. So you kind of get all of your streaming stuff, but all the things that you have stored locally, and you can mix them together in some cases like you can do with Tidal, which we've talked about here on the channel before. Uh, So Plex is really growing out quite a bit beyond just personal media. So we've got the live TV and the DVR with the tuner and the Plex Pass. You can access your podcasts with the free version of Plex. They have Plex web shows where you can watch this show and many others uh, right through the Plex interface. They have news Uh, The WB content is coming, and then, of course, you have Tidal also integrated if you have a Tidal subscription. So a lot of cool stuff happening with Plex. You can see more at the uh, link that you see down below in the video description to learn more about all the things you can do with this great media-serving software. So let's take a look now at the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, we had a very retro week where we unboxed the RetroBit official Sega Genesis USB controller. Uh, We also have an update on the BitBoy Pocket Go Uh, They made some changes to the firmware to get rid of that screen tearing issue that we were pointing out in the main review. Uh, The images are still not perfect, but they're a lot better than they were before. And now I can kind of cautiously recommend this $40 emulation handheld to folks that set their expectations at an appropriate level. Uh, The firmware update is not easy, though. You do have to reformat the entire card. You've got to repartition it with a second piece of software afterwards, so it's not hard, but it's a cumbersome process. But once you get through all that, uh, the BitBoy Pocket Go is a little better than it was originally. So check out that update if you were curious. 
And then on the main channel, we did a bunch of different things. We had two cord cutting videos, one on the channel's DVR, adding support for TV everywhere. So if you have a cable or a streaming subscription, if your service provider is supported, you can log into that service provider and then stream things through the channel's interface and record them. It's pretty cool how it works. You can check out more in the full video that you see uh, in the master playlist down below. Got a lot of views on that video. People are very interested in that, so check it out. Uh, We also had an update on Plex because they've made some changes to the desktop experience, new interfaces and new apps and everything. You can check out that in the master playlist. Uh, We had the review of that USB controller. I didn't, uh, I actually expected it to do better than it did because those 8-bit though videos always get a ton of traffic. This one didn't, but it might just be because that controller has been out for a while and everyone who was curious about it got their fill already. I got to try to get on their radar, (laughs) on the radar screen there to get some of these things in a little earlier. And then this one did really poorly, but it was something that I thought was kind of neat. This is the Adenit Photo Grip, which is a wireless charging photo grip for your smartphone. Uh, So you can hold it like a camera and give your phone a little bit of a top off uh, while you're using the camera functions of your phone. Pretty cool thing. You can check it out again down below in the master playlist. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And we've talked a lot about subscription services here on the channel like Disney Plus and Netflix and all the other things coming down the line. But we haven't talked a lot about the free stuff that's out there. And it looks like free is also growing along with the subscription services. Uh, So as I was reading up on this new Plex deal with Warner Brothers, uh, Deadline had kind of a buried lead in their story about the growth of free ad-supported streaming. The acronym in the industry is AVOD, that's Advertiser Supported Video On Demand, and there are more and more offerings coming online. It looks like, I don't even remember this, but I guess in April, NBC Universal announced they're going to have an ad-supported service for The Office and other classic shows that they have in their library. Uh, Sony rebooted Crackle earlier this year, according to the article. Uh, Pluto TV was bought by Viacom and then got gobbled up in that uh, CBS Viacom merger. Uh, Tubi TV has 20 million active users for its service. I haven't even looked at that one before. So there's a lot going on out there in the free ad-supported world for streaming. And I think there's going to be a lot more coming down the line as these services are clearly getting a lot of eyeballs and a lot of attention Uh, So if you've been frustrated over the subscription thing, I think there's going to be a lot of options out there. You may not get all of the most up-to-date current content, but I can see a lot of these services putting some of their back catalogs out there uh, as newer stuff comes out. So keep tuned for that. And what I wanted to do was get some ideas from all of you about the free services that you're using, because I hadn't even looked at Tubi before. Uh, So I'd love to know what else might be out there, because I've been thinking about putting together a video about all the free stuff you can get when you buy a Roku or a Fire TV or something. So let me know down in the comments below. I know about Pluto. I know about Tubi now. I believe IMDB, which is owned by Amazon, has a movie service too. But if there's anything else out there that you're using, definitely let me know down below so we can learn more about it. YouTube is even jumping on this too. They're taking some of their premium shows and having these windowed uh, times in which you can watch them with ads. So uh, Cobra Kai is an example of a show from YouTube Premium that will be available to non-premium subscribers shortly as well. So let me know what else you know about down in the comments and we'll do a video coming up on that topic.
And another piece of big news this week, Apple announced that they're going to start playing nice with independent repair shops, at least insofar as iPhones are concerned. They're calling this the Independent Repair Provider Program, and they're going to allow uh, these independent businesses to repair iPhones that are out of warranty with official Apple parts that they will sell to these stores. Uh, There is a process in which these stores have to follow in order to get certified. I actually think this is a good thing uh, because they're going to require the uh, store's technicians or maybe the owner of the store to uh, go out and take a test to make sure that they have the skill set necessary to repair the phones in the safest way possible. This has been my biggest uh, bit of unease about the right to repair movement that we don't know who's qualified to fix a lithium-ion battery-powered device, for example. Uh, So Apple will determine whether or not that person is able to make those repairs. They have to be a business with a commercial uh, storefront. Uh, You can't work it out of your home, for example. And again, you've got to get certified by Apple's uh, certification process to get going. Now, I was curious what some of the independent repair people out there might think of this. And who better than to look at Lewis Rossman? You can see his reaction here at the link you see on screen. It looks like he's very pleased with what Apple has done here. This is a first step, though, as he says, because this applies only to out-of-warranty iPhones. I don't believe it supports the iPad or Macs or anything else that Apple sells, just the iPhone and only iPhones that are out-of-warranty. Uh, what remains to be seen is what uh, Apple will charge these stores for the parts because ultimately it's about whether or not these stores can be competitive with Apple's own repair options in the Apple store. So there's a lot more that we have to see what's, what's going to develop out of this, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. There's a certification process. Independent store owners can get access to official iPhone parts, and I think it will be good for consumers overall once this gets put into place. And we'll keep an eye on Lewis's channel to see how the reaction is once this program gets rolled out. And on a related note, it looks like Apple has some new iPhones to show us. They have sent out invitations to their big iPhone announcement that happens every year. This year it's going to be September 10th, and I am still waiting for my invitation. I'm sure it's just lost in the mail or something, so we'll have to keep an eye on uh, what Apple has up their sleeve here. I bought an iPhone 10 two years ago. I've been perfectly happy with it. Haven't had any reason to upgrade. Usually I used to upgrade, upgrade my phone every year. This is even before the smartphone era. Uh, but that iPhone 10 has been perfectly fine for me, especially given how expensive phones are these days. So we'll have to see if there's anything compelling enough for me to make an update. And related to that announcement, I got this spam from my mobile phone carrier. Verizon Wireless spammed me, telling me I could upgrade uh, my 10 to a 10R for 250 bucks right before it gets replaced by something newer and better. And of course, I said no to that. I hit X to stop messages. Now, you would think that would be enough to stop the spam in the future, but no. Verizon has a double opt-out on their spam messages. So when I hit the X... I got back a thank you. If you wish to restrict all future messages, hit Q, which I did. And we'll have to see if Verizon honors that. But it just drives me crazy that you've got these carriers that impose rules on others, rightfully so, on spamming and all this other stuff, yet they have a double opt-out spam uh, to stop getting messages that they send out to you. I just wish they would follow the same rules they enforce on others. Now, one of my pet peeves has been all of the motion smoothing that modern televisions have been putting into their default settings over the last five or ten years. Uh, Now there is some movement. 
uh, with some directors in Hollywood to add a filmmaker mode to upcoming televisions, and that will put the TV into the proper mode so it's not doing all this interpolation and all this other stuff that makes these beautiful movies look like a soap opera that's airing on broadcast television. I have been going over to relatives' houses and adjusting their TVs manually. I do it all the time because I can't stand how people just think this is how stuff is supposed to look. It's not, and thankfully we're starting to see some movement here after Hollywood has been making a big ruckus about it. Unfortunately, though, only three televisions are going to support this filmmaker mode moving forward here. Uh, That is LG, Panasonic, and Vizio. Now, of course, every television gives you the option to turn off these things, but you often have to dig a couple layers into the menu to do it. On my LG TV upstairs, every single input is set independently, and all of those inputs always have motion interpolation set on. And it's even crazier because each of the Ultra HD modes on that TV have to be adjusted as well. So if I move from HDMI 3 to 2, and I have it set for HDR, when Dolby Vision comes up, it goes back to 60 hertz and all this other garbage. So it's a constant battle, but it looks like LG is one of the TV makers that will have a filmmaker button, and I hope it is not something that is hard for consumers to find. The big question is, though, what will the default position be on those inputs. We'll have to wait and see when this gets rolled out. And Google announced they are shutting down yet another service this week. Uh, Google Hire will terminate in 2020. And this was a subscription service for small businesses to ease their job application process. And it looks like they just didn't get enough customer uh, interest in this to keep it going. Uh, But I bring this up because Google in November is going to launch Stadia, They're going to do a massive marketing push on this. There's a lot of negative commentary about this all over the community here on YouTube uh, because of a lot of issues related to Google's track record in keeping their services going over time. And if you go to the Google graveyard here, uh, the number of services that have been killed or are about to be killed is up to 175, including a lot of things like Google Hangouts and a bunch of other services that a lot of us use Uh, those things go away when Google decides they're not working for the company any longer. And I think the issue with Stadia here is that Google has never given the consumer base that they're trying to attract with the service any kind of confidence that should they decide to ax Stadia like they've axed 175 other things, that the games that they purchased will go with you somewhere else. They haven't said anything about that. Of course, they don't want people to think about the service failing before it starts, But I do think that's going to be a major factor in people deciding to invest money into the Stadia service. Now, I've bought game consoles in the past that have failed. Uh, The 3DO is a great example of that. But 25 years later, I still have my console and all the games that I bought for it, even though it was a very short-lived experience. Uh, Those of us who were Dreamcast owners, we also had that experience too. But we still, if you didn't sell your Dreamcast, have it and all the games that you can continue to play with it. If Google decides to kill Stadia... There is nothing that you have after that. So we'll have to see uh, whether or not Google will try to instill some confidence in consumers that they will make things right if the service were ever to be shut down. And my pick of the week this week is a video that Metal Jesus Rocks did on this topic because he covers the issue that I brought up along with some other issues like what will happen to your data cap when you're playing these 4K HDR games over the internet, essentially. You're going to blow through that cap in no time. And if you've got kids watching Netflix and other things and are already using a lot of data like my kids do, uh, you'll easily put yourself over that. 
maybe even within a matter of hours. And I don't think a lot of consumers are aware of this yet, and they will be when they get the bill from Comcast uh, charging them extra for every gigabyte they go over. So Google's got to do a better job, I think, communicating some of these limitations to people, giving consumers some confidence about what could happen if the service ever shuts down. I think if they went out and said to people, hey, if it does shut down, we'll mail you a physical disc or we'll give you a credit on the Epic Game Store or something, that might... Uh, help some folks out a little bit here. But right now, I just don't see this really being all that attractive to people because of these problems. However, I think the market for Stadia is going to be folks who either don't want to buy a high-end gaming PC or can't afford one to enjoy that level of quality. And that's going to be something I think will be very attractive to non-gamers who are buying this for the gamers in their life, namely a lot of parents who don't want to buy uh, little Billy here a $3,000 computer. This is going to be an alternative that I think a lot of people are going to jump on, but they should watch uh, Metal Jesus's video here first and ask these questions of Google so they can at least give us some indication as to what they're going to do about those limitations. But I did, though, order a Google Stadia starter kit, and I have not canceled the order like many others have done so far. And the reason is, is that I'm curious about how it works because Stadia's controller here uh, will connect directly to the Stadia services. It's not required to use. In fact, you can just use your browser with whatever controller you have. But I think this might dramatically cut down the input lag of the experience given that you're taking a lot of steps out of the process. And we'll have to see if this is any better than what the experience might be on the NVIDIA Shield or something, for example. So I'm just curious, which is why I ordered it. Uh, But when I do the review, of course, I'll bring up these issues if they're still going unresolved by Google, because I do think there's significant risk here for consumers in subscribing to the service and buying games on it uh, if Google decides to add it to the graveyard at some point in the future. We'll have to see if they uh, rectify some of those concerns as things roll forward, because otherwise I think this might flop before it even gets started. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And I went through the Facebook group this week to find some questions of interest. Uh, the first one comes in from Ben Cossett about Blu-ray drives that can rip 4K discs. He knows there are a few, but then there were firmware updates that made them less useful for that purpose. And that is definitely the case. Uh, My suggestion would be to go to the link that you see on screen here. Uh, This will take you to the Make MKV forums where people are keeping everyone up to date on which drives and which firmware will work for 4K rips. And you can see right here the current list of drives that are capable. Uh, Apparently, there are now unofficial firmwares or ways to downgrade your firmware to firmwares that supported ripping if your drive is newer, but they do come fraught with some risk. And you definitely want to read up on these things ahead of time here because there was one person here who had uh, made a firmware update and put the wrong firmware on his drive and now he's kind of got a doorstop. I guess there are ways to salvage things, but it's not easy. Uh, So you'll definitely want to do some research here if the drive you're using doesn't have uh, the right firmware on board. Uh, But there are now some folks on that forum who are selling drives that they have put the firmware on. So you can check out Uh, those things on the forum too. And this is really the best place to go for this information. Uh, I do 4K rips quite a bit. My drive is one of the LG drives that's supported. I am not touching that firmware because I want to have that functionality retain uh, as time goes on here. And this is just the cat and mouse games that go on uh, between the industry and consumers here trying to get the most out of their 4K experience, unfortunately. But check out the forums here. I think it'll be really helpful. 
And another Benjamin here had a question about UPSs, not the delivery service, but uh, the backup batteries that we use to protect our equipment from surges and power outages. He wanted to know if I had any suggestions. And what I would do first, especially because he's looking to power a modem, a router, a switch, and a NAS, uh, is to head over to APC's calculator uh, because you can calculate the total draw in watts and then how long you want to keep everything up for, and they'll make some recommendations on capacity for you. Uh, I've had good luck with the APCs over the years. Uh, One thing to note with these UPS systems, no matter where you buy one from, is that the batteries are often lead-acid batteries, and you'll have to replace them every couple of years, even if you don't use them all that much. And you often find out the hard way when your battery is gone. So a lot of the nicer UPS devices have a tester, so you can make sure the battery can... Uh, maintain some load, uh, but you'll often find that five years goes by real quick and suddenly your UPS isn't actually doing what it's supposed to do. So definitely keep an eye on those batteries over time. Or if you want to go for a more expensive lithium ion one, you might get a little more life out of that. Uh, What I do with my Synology NAS is actually plug the uh, APC's USB port into my NAS. And the reason is, is that uh, on Synology and I think on WD as well, Uh, and I think QNAP supports these too, Uh, they have the ability to work with that UPS so that if your power goes out, it will shut down the NAS after a certain length of time. Uh, Now, in my house, I've got a backup generator, so usually it's just enough to keep everything going until the generator kicks on. But if you uh, don't have that, you can figure out how many uh, seconds you will get out of your particular uh, power device and then set a timer. So on mine, if the generator doesn't kick in, After 10 minutes, it will instruct the NAS to safely shut itself down. And that is a really helpful tool to have. The problem I'm finding with this, though, is that most of the small office and home devices don't allow you to connect more than one device in this way. So I'd love to have my second NAS plugged into the uh, UPS's USB as well, but I can't. And that's my biggest frustration is that there's no real standard here I'm seeing to have it go over the network or something and just let everything know to shut itself down. So it's a one-off kind of thing here, but at least for my uh, Synology device where a lot of my sensitive data is stored, I know that if the power doesn't come on in 10 minutes, the drive uh, will shut itself down automatically. And what's also cool is that I get uh, these little notifications when there are power blips. So you can see we had one here that only lasted for a couple of seconds, but I got a note here to say that the server went on battery, and then another note here to say that the power came back on. So that was pretty cool to see that. Now, Synology has a pretty extensive list of what is compatible, and I would imagine other NAS manufacturers have similar compatibility lists. So after you pick one out, uh, go and make sure it's going to work with your particular hardware configuration so that when it arrives, you can get everything integrated and working together. Now, last week, we were talking about the Retro ROM Challenge and some of the frustrations I had in acquiring... Uh, games legally that were no longer in print, uh, namely games like Snatcher and a few others that sell for hundreds of dollars, yet there is no way to legally acquire the game now. Uh, and we had a great discussion. You can go back to last week's video to follow up on that. I'll give you some more thoughts on it in a second. But I did get this great comment on the Facebook page or Facebook group uh, from Commodore about a service called itch.io that is a clearinghouse for indie games. And there are a bunch of Sega Genesis and other retro ROMs kind of peppered about this site. They've got a lot of games up there. And I did a search for uh, Genesis and Mega Drive, and I found 
uh, this one here called Irena Genesis Metal Fury. Uh, this is something that I think some of you have probably seen out there already. They have a game in development. Uh, they're essentially crowdfunding this one, but they have a demo out right now. So I threw them a couple of bucks and I downloaded the demo uh, from itch.io and I put it on my Mega SD on my original Sega Genesis here. And I think it might be fun now to take out the controller and give this game a shot. So let's take a look and see what it's all about. All right, so here we've got the game now running on original hardware. Let's get the game started here and see what it's all about. It's got some pretty cool artwork here, as you can see. I think it doesn't support the six-button controller because I did have to hit the um, mode button here for this game to work with my six button. Well, let's get the game loaded up here. We've got a little tutorial here to show you how to do everything. Definitely looks period uh, accurate. This is the kind of stuff that you would see uh, back in those days here. So let's get uh, to the prototype stage three. It says good luck and we'll see how the game handles here. Looks pretty good actually. I like the multi-level parallax on this. And this is kind of cool, just the fact that we've got you know, some games like this being developed independently for the old hardware. You can run it on an emulator, but, but you could also boot it up on original hardware like we're doing here. And it looks pretty cool, so pretty neat stuff. You can find it uh, on that itch.io site at the link that you see on screen here and give it a shot for yourself and maybe throw them a couple of bucks to uh, encourage development. I don't think it's going to be a huge market for this retro stuff. It's stuff that I think appeals to people that are really into it like I am, but nonetheless, there's a market for it and it's good to see there's a marketplace for it as well. And one of the cool things that I've been playing with, and I did a video on this around the holiday season, uh, is this thing called the Retro Tank 2X. Now, I bought some cables from HD Retrovision that bring um, RGB video out of the Sega Genesis. I didn't have to do any modifications to it. And this will take that video and give you 480p out of the HDMI with zero lag. And it works great. And it, you can then rely upon your TV's own upscaler to make everything look accurate. And I found that on my 4K TV upstairs, uh, this Sega Genesis almost looks as good, almost, as my uh, Mega SD or SG uh, from Analog, which is a true 1080p FPGA replication of the original hardware. This is almost as good. And I think if you are interested in maybe playing some of your old games on your uh, modern TVs, this might be a really good solution. It works with uh, composite video and S-video as well, but the best images, of course, come out of the component cables. I also wanted to just do a quick update on our Retro ROM Challenge topic from last week because we had a lot of great discussion on that. Uh, the consensus generally is that this probably wouldn't work uh, given the complexity of the licensing because it's hard enough to get the license in the first place to sell the game, but it's even more difficult for some of the games that might have licenses that they used in making the game. Uh, so, for example, if a logo appeared somewhere and that license isn't valid for a 2019 sale of that ROM... Uh, then you'd have to have somebody go in and reprogram the ROM to strip that logo out, for example. There's just a lot of stuff that uh, you may not think about that could really make this a lot more complicated. Music rights are another good one to uh, lump into that category. Uh, so I did hear back from a number of you who said you'd love to help with such a project, and a lot of you had a really good background in software and web development. That was awesome. Uh, but we did not hear from a lawyer at all. And a lawyer is really what we would need to make this thing work. So I think our better option here, short of getting a lawyer willing to uh, work for little or no pay on this, is to maybe go out to GOG and a few other uh, sites that do have relationships and are selling some of these used title or these older titles uh, to maybe encourage them to start looking in the direction of older console games that they might be able to acquire licenses for. Uh, GOG really shocked the world with their DOS marketplace. Uh, that was such a great thing. It still is. 
uh, but clearly it's not enough to sustain their business, which is why they're also leveraging themselves as kind of like a steam competitor and selling a lot of new titles and focusing on that. Uh, but they might have relationships that maybe they could use to get some of these games to a point where we could acquire them legally. Uh, my advice to you is that if there is a game that you're playing quite a bit and you don't own a copy, uh, go out and buy a modern iteration of it in some way. If it's buying one of those mini consoles, do it. Uh, if it's buying a game online, do it if it's available. Unfortunately, though, a lot of games just don't fall into the category where there's any way for the original rights holders to get compensated for that IP. And for those games, you'll have to use your best judgment on that. So this week on the channel, we're going to have my initial review of the Raspberry Pi 4. I'm not covering a lot of things that you would normally expect to see because so many of the projects that we depend upon for all the added functionality of the Raspberry Pi aren't yet optimized for it. And I wanted to wait until those versions got a little more developed so that we can really get a good look at the hardware and what it's capable of. So we're going to look at mostly its computing functions in this upcoming video. Uh, and then we'll go and look at other things like home theater and emulation a little later down the road. I did touch upon those topics, but uh, we're not going to dive deep into those just because the software isn't quite ready yet. I think this product was kind of a surprise not only to the community, but to the Pi Foundation themselves. In fact, they said as much in an interview the other day on their YouTube channel uh, in that they were expecting a, a longer development cycle for the processor, and apparently it was coming back fully functional a lot sooner than they anticipated, which is why it came out now and not next year, which I think is what they were anticipating. So it caught a lot of folks off guard, but it's working. It's not like it doesn't work in its uh, regular Raspbian mode here, and we'll look at that first. Also, on Wednesday... I am flying out to Berlin, Germany for the first time to cover IFA, which is the European Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, this is, I think, almost on par with what you might see at CES, maybe a little smaller than CES, but still uh, heavily attended. And Lenovo will be sponsoring that trip. Uh, so we'll have at least, hopefully, two dispatch videos. I'm hoping to get three out of it. Uh, one of the scary things about covering these events is that I never know what we're going to find. So I just walk around and then we just look at whatever tends to jump out at us as we do our thing there. So we're going to be very busy in Germany. Uh, if you are going to be at IFA, do let me know. I'd love to connect with fans of the show while we're out there. And I'm just excited to have a little adventure here to a place that I haven't been before. In fact, this is my first trip to Europe, so I am really looking forward to that. Uh, let me know if there's anything you think I should see at IFA down below in the comments below. And I want to thank Lenovo uh, for their sponsorship of that trip. It makes it all possible. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lan.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. Uh, we've also started playing around with the YouTube membership program. I have two tiers now, the bronze and silver. So it's uh, 99 cents and 4.99. And you get these little badges on your uh, name when you leave comments and stuff with those. And I guess the longer you've been a member, uh, the different color you'll get. So the red one here is the longest serving members. And then every month your color upgrades as you go. Kind of a neat little feature. So we'll see how this all works out. I like to try to make it as easy as possible for people to support the channel. So DonorBox is still my preferred means, but I don't want to shut out Patreon users and folks who are using YouTube memberships. All of it is welcome. And I greatly appreciate the support that you have all brought to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, who sponsored this week's video. If you sign up for a free Plex account to check out that WB thing when it launches, uh, no credit card is required for that, but we do get a small commission. Uh, we get a larger commission if you do a Plex pass or gift it to somebody else.
We also have other channels that you can find me on, including the Extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content like that BitBoy update. Uh, We have the podcast, which is an audio version of this show. We have the Snippets channel, which are shareable portions of this show, so you can share them with your friends if there's a topic you want people to know more about. And then we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. Now, if you want to get notified every time I do something, you can click on the bell and you'll get notified when I do post a new video up through whatever means you have set up to be notified with YouTube. Uh, we also have other ways to engage with the channel. My very infrequent email list at lon.tv email. I will likely be emailing all of you with some information on my IFA trip when we get everything figured out. Uh, we also have the Facebook page at lon.tv Facebook, the Facebook group at lon.tv Facebook group. We're over 700 strong now. A lot of great discussion there, so sign up if you haven't already. And then we have the store at lon.tv store where I sell items that I've previously reviewed on the channel. And you can get notified every time I add something to the store uh, just by signing up for the store alert email at the link that you see on screen. I was going to add a bunch of stuff this week, but due to the IFA trip, I'll probably add it next week. But there are still some things there in the store for you. So check it out. If you want a better deal, make me an offer. You never know what I might accept. That's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support and viewership. Keep those questions and comments coming. Play some retro games and enjoy your week. Until next time from Berlin, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Mike Talbert, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.